podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Thursday, the 25th of February, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix, even if you're not over there, access Now TV if you're from the UK, but you're currently located outside the UK. It's really good service. Also protects your data online. LibertyShield.com, EPL VPN to get 20% off at checkout. Uh, we're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but they will ship worldwide. HomeofHopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, it is Thursday. So, as usual, I have been begging you for some content uh, to help me fulfill my Thursday obligations. So, um, put the questions out this morning and uh, looks to have. Loads of responses. I think we have 15 on one and about 12 on the other. So uh, we'll run through these. Some of them look like they could be a little bit long. Some look like they'll be quick enough to do. So they should be fun. Um, first one is Mikhail Campbell. Uh, can you please review the transfer windows of Klopp's tenure with Liverpool? So, so far, similar to the Wenger review that you did earlier in the week. Oh. I'll come back to that one. That's going to be a bit of a longer one, so I'll come back to it. Um, Samang Mo asks, how likely is the European Super League? What would happen to the Premier League if the Big Six left? I think the Premier League would be in a lot of trouble. I, I think if the Big Six all left, they take their fan bases, they take all that those eyeballs off the Premier League. The Premier League becomes a secondary competition. Uh, you'd obviously get six teams up from the championship. Maybe at that point they have to start looking at bringing in Rangers and Celtic. But if if Scotland is going to seek independence, then that's not an option either. I think we would see the Premier League struggle quite a bit. I think the money would disappear. Most of the TV money, the major money, would go to the European Super League. I think the same is true of Serie A, who would likely lose... At least three teams, Juve and the two Milans. I'm sure the two Rome clubs would would view themselves as being worthy of getting in. But you know, if if just the two Milan clubs and Juve left, that's problematic for them. If Bayern left the Bundesliga, the Bundesliga is the one that could benefit the most. Now they'd still lose money, obviously, because Bayern would go. But the quality of the league would still be very good because outside of Bayern, it, it, it's all quite even. You've got a bunch of good teams, not great teams, and maybe they can make quite a good league. The same is true of France. You'd obviously lose PSG. I'm not sure who else would go from France. I mean, Marseille would have an argument based on size and historic success. I think Lyon the same. But I, I again, you'd have to know what clubs were coming out. I think it's a certainty that it's the big six from England. It's definitely the big three in in Italy. 
It's definitely Bayern. It's definitely Barcelona and the two Milan clubs. Oh, sorry, the two Madrid clubs. And maybe Sevilla from Spain. Definitely PSG. I mean, that gives you 15. If they wanted 18, I suppose Dortmund would have to be in because they're a huge club. They've got a massive fan base. That's 16. Say take Marseille is 17 and then take one from Italy to balance it. But I don't know how you'd split. I think you'd probably go with... You can't really split the Rome clubs. I don't know how that would work. Is there an argument? Maybe Atalanta aren't big enough. Maybe Fiorentina. Napoli is probably the one. Say take Napoli, because I think if you took one Rome club, they'd just be absolute murder with the other one. So, yeah, I think you take Napoli. I think that's your rating teams. Um, And I think at that point, Serie A becomes competitive, but not great, and would struggle massively financially, as they are anyway. La Liga. You might as well just close up and go home. I think the Premier League the same. The Bundesliga and league, uh, the French League, they, they'd be okay. I think the, the money would, would be problematic. They'd obviously lose a lot of eyeballs, but I think competitively they'd still be decent leagues. Um, I, I do think it's going to happen at some point. It's just a matter of when and how and whether they just do it and replace the Champions League whether that's what, what it is, it becomes something that replaces the Champions League. And maybe they do a tournament format to get into it. So maybe you do a couple of knockout rounds and then you go into this league and they play it alongside the Premier League or whether it just replaces the Premier League for, for the big six, whether they don't do anything else. They just do these games and then they play a bunch of friendlies around the world to, to make up the rest. Um. Dara McCusker, up pool 6198. Uh, interesting Brundish saying Hendo can't play two games a week uh, anymore due to six injuries in the last year, probably moving him to a squad player for next season. So, what type of midfielder do we replace Ginny Wijnaldum with? Um, so, obviously, Brundish, for those that don't know, is Simon Brundish. He's one of the top sports science, scientists in the UK, um, owns strengthlab.co.uk if you want to check out his work there. Simon is uh, one of the podcasters off the Anfield Index podcasts. I'm sure most of you will know who he is, but just some context for those that don't. He, he is an expert in his field. Jordan Henderson has had six injuries in the past 12 months, and that is, that's a big concern. But it's not just the last 12 months that have been problematic for him. In 15-16, he played only 15 league, started only 15 league games. Um, Played 17 in total. The following season, he only played 24 league games. The season after that, he only played 27 league games. So he he hasn't played more than 32 league games since the 14-15 season. He's only hit 30 twice in the last six seasons. And one of them, he hit exactly 30. So he's missed a lot of football. He is injury prone. There's just no argument against it. Jordan Henderson is injury prone. And for those that mocked Alex Ferguson for saying that his running gait would cause him injury problems, he was 100% correct. He was absolutely correct. 
Jordan Henderson is an injury-prone player. And it's not just now, at the age of 30, he'll turn 31 in the summer. These injury problems started when he was 25. So Ferguson was correct about it. Their medical staff identified that as an issue early on. Um, In terms of what Liverpool need to do with replacing Wijnaldum, there's a couple of ways to look at it. If they if they're going to stick with four three three, you could look at Henderson and Curtis Jones as the options on the right hand side of that midfield. Naby Keita and Thiago on the left hand side of that three man midfield, and then Fabinho as the holding midfielder. So what you would need then is a backup to Fabinho, someone you can bring in and develop behind him. Uh, you can play him there if Fabinho is, is needed at centre back or needs a rest. You could go for an Yves Basima. He'd probably be expensive for that role. Sander Berger would be an option for sure. Uh, Kefram Turam, Lillian Turam's younger son, brother of Marcus, he could be an option. You could, you know, you, you could maybe say, well, Henderson's going to be his backup and we're going to bring in a starter on the right-hand side. In which case, maybe you look at someone like Azambo Angisa. He'd be one of my favorite picks for that role. I think he's, I think he's tremendous. Um, I've always loved the idea of Saul, but you'd have to reconfigure the midfield a little bit. But you know, Fabian Ruiz could be an option. There's a, there is a multitude of options. It would it just depends on how Liverpool are going to play. If they're going to play four four two or four two three one, then Fabinho and Thiago is the is the pairing. Henderson and Keita is depth, and you probably just bring in one more, again, a younger player, someone like a Kefren Turam or a Sander Berger, who isn't going to have a massive demand. Berger might demand big minutes. Turam probably won't. Could bring him in, develop him. And if, look, worst case scenario, you sell him on in a couple of years, he just fills a need, um, which you probably do need because that midfield four, Fabinho, Thiago, Henderson, Keita, they all have injury problems. They all have injury problems. Henderson and, and Kate are the worst of them. Um, they're the two injury-prone. Thiago's had a number of injuries over his career. And um, and Fab has had some injuries. So you, you want to bring in someone who's a bit more robust and can be you know relied on. Maybe you train Curtis Jones into playing in a two. I, I think that would be a little bit of a waste of him. But I, I do think the, the bigger thing is it just depends on how Liverpool want to play whether it's going to be a two- or a three-man midfield. Um, YNWA Foodie, what is your opinion about Chris Morgan theories about his injury records at Liverpool, Crystal Palace and Arsenal? So I spoke to Marty Loughran. Marty Loughran is uh, another contributor to Anfield Index. He is a professional physio. And has you know, as he points out, physios don't cause injuries. There's nothing a physio does that will cause an injury. A physio is there to repair an injury. He's not involved in the process that leads to the injury. That's more the sports scientists, the coaches, the manager. That's on them. Now, look, Liverpool have just had a lot of bad luck this season. Ah, I do, I do, look, I do admit that. Look, he's he's been at Liverpool before. The injury record wasn't great. He went to Palace. It wasn't great. He was at Arsenal. It wasn't great. He's back at Liverpool. It's dreadful. But unless he's cursed, 
unless a witch doctor put a curse on him because he has bad juju, I really don't know what it is he, he's meant to have done other than have a job. Simple as that. I, I think a lot of it's nonsense. I think leave the guy alone, let him get on with his job. By all accounts, he's very highly rated as a physio. Players that have worked with him in the past have always spoken highly of him. Um, he was highly thought of when he was at Liverpool before. He went to Palace because the club doctor, Zaff, went to Palace and he just took him with him. Um, I, I don't think he's got anything to do with it. I really don't think he's got anything to do with it. Um, Isaac Gilding, build the best starting eleven in the world right now. No rules, any player from any league. Right, well, assuming everybody's fit and I can have anybody I want, um, I, I would go for Jan Oblak in goal. He, he's the one I would pick above Alison Becker and Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. He, he'd be my goalkeeper. I'd go Josh Kimmich at right back, slightly above Trent. I just think he is... I think he's more robust. I think he's just a better all-round player. Um... David Alaba, for me, will be left-back. I know he's played mostly centre-back, but he was the best left-back in the world when he played left-back. So I'm putting him there. I'm going Marquinhos at right centre-back. I think he's a flawless defender. I think he's, as a 1v1 defender, I think he's the best in the world. I'm going Virgil van Dijk as the left centre-back, who is the best centre-back in the world, arguably a top-five player in the world. That's my back four. I'll go Fabinho as the defensive midfielder. Um, I, I just think he's, I think he's the best at what he does, and I think Thiago Alcantara is the best at what he does. So I'll have him next to him in a double pivot. I think that is as close to perfect as you're going to get. Going to play a box midfield. So Kevin De Bruyne will be my right-sided attacking midfielder who will drop out to the right wing when we're out of possession. I, I don't think there's any argument really needed for KDB. I think he's proven himself time and again to be one of the best players in the world, consistently among the best players in the Premier League. He's just hes a sensational footballer. And he makes everybody around him better. Um, up front, I'm going Messi because he's Messi. And I'm going Lewandowski because he's Lewandowski, basically. And the great strikers that we're seeing develop, your Mbappes, your Haalands, they're not quite at his level just yet. They'll get there. But just at the moment, they're not quite where he is. The only position I have doubt over is that sort of left-sided attacking midfield role. Hmm. There's not really anybody that jumps out at me. Neymar obviously deserves consideration, but I dislike the fact that he has spent so much of his career wasting away in the French League. Do you know, he's a little bit past his best. He's not as consistent as he was. But I think he could play this role. I'm going to go Luka Modric. I'm going to go Luka Modric. Ideal. 
ideally I'd want more goals from midfield. But then do I need them if I've got Messi and, and Lewandowski up front? Modric has played in the box midfield before. Be comfortable in that role. Super talented player. He's been world class for a long time. I think I'll go Modric. It's a it's a a bit of you know one of those picks because I've always loved him. I loved him at Spurs. Uh, I wish we we'd had him at Liverpool. He destroyed us a couple of times. I'm probably missing somebody obvious. I probably am missing somebody obvious, but that's what I'll go with. I'll go Oblak, Kimmich, Marquinhos, Van Dijk, Alaba, Fabinho, uh, Alcantara, Kevin De Bruyne, Luka Modric, Messi, and and Lewandowski. I, I, I probably am missing somebody obvious, but off the top of my head, that's what I'm going to go with. Um, Nick Turner. After Klopp's comments about Ancelotti's poker face during the derby at the weekend, which three Premier League managers do you think would be the best at poker, have a good poker face, and which three would be the worst? Right, the very best would be Dyche, because nothing excites him. Absolutely nothing. The man went all the way to see the Grand Canyon, walked up, had a look, and went, that's it, and walked away. He'd be in there. I think Graham Potter would be in there. He just always looks miserable. No matter what hand he'd have, he just looks sad. Um, so I think Potter would be one. And I think Pep. I think Pep would be really good at poker. Because I, I, he's, he's, he's super intelligent. Super intelligent. Uh, the three worst, Klopp would be terrible. <laughs> because he gets so excited when he got a good hand. So you couldn't have him. Um, Big Sam, you couldn't have him because he'd start. He would just start complaining about it, or he'd tut. He'd have a little tantrum, and he'd pro- probably blame it on you know the lack of progress towards you know Brexit becoming the savior of all things. And um, Steve Bruce, because I think Steve Bruce is a really nice man. And I think he'd be inclined to tell you when he had a good hand and he had a bad hand. So I'll, I'll that's who I'll go with. Um, Ross Wood. Uh, I was watching Jesse Lingard at West Ham and genuinely surprised at the level of his performances, given how little football he's had recently. And I totally agree with that. He's been really good, considering how little he'd played for United. Who are the players whose performances, good or bad, have surprised you the most this season? Um Start with some bad ones. Uh, Rian Brewster. Really, really surprised at how poor he's been. Really surprised. I, I I, did think he was slightly overrated, but he's got a lot of talent. He'd never proven it in the Premier League, but I did think he'd do pretty well for, for the Blades this year. I thought he'd get somewhere in the region of you know, 10 to 12 goals. He hasn't scored any, and he has been awful. Genuinely awful. Um, Ruben Neves has disappointed me this year. I was expecting a lot more. At at the age he's at, given the experience he has now in his his third season in the Premier League, I thought we'd see him step up and take a lot more ownership in the midfield. 
force four wolves. Now, there's games where he does it, and then there's games where he just looks completely lost. He floats through games. It's little wonder. Now, part of it is the manager dropping him every so often when he's had a couple of good games. But yeah, Ruben Neves has been has been a disappointment to me this year. Uh, Sadio Mane has been a disappointment this year, without question. I think Bobby Firmino as well. But Bobby had a bad season last season, so wasn't necessarily the biggest surprise. Um. They're the three I think that stick out the most. Brewster, that's probably just the Liverpool connection because I've been keeping more of an eye on him. Uh, he has been awful, but it's it's the reason he stands out to me. Neves, again, I've always liked him, and he came very close to signing for Liverpool a few years ago uh, before he went to Wolves, so that may be why I, I kind of have high expectations for him. And Mane, just because it, you know he, he's one of the best players in the league and he's been quite poor this year. Um, in terms of players that have really surprised me with their level, Patrick Bamford, uh, I talked about him yesterday. I think he has been excellent for Leeds. I think I think if he was 10% better at everything, he'd be a, a top-class, top-four striker. But I, I had doubts that he was going to be able to score enough goals to lead the line for Premier League team, and he's proven that he absolutely can. He has been really, really good for Leeds all season long. Um, Thomas Suchek, I think he's just been consistently excellent all season. Defensively, he's very switched on. He's good in transition. And obviously, he adds goals to West Ham, which which they need because they don't get a whole bunch of goals up front. Um, I've been surprised by him. Another one that I've been disappointed in, I suppose, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, but it's their first season in the Premier League. So we'll give them a pass. But yeah, Suchek has definitely been one that surprised me. Emi Martinez, um, I had doubts. I have to say, I, I really did have doubts. I think he's arguably been the best keeper in the league over the course of the season so far. And the final one, I, I knew he was good. I knew he was very good. But I didn't know LK Gundogan was this good. He'd certainly never shown it before. At Dortmund, he was very good. Then he had some injuries. Was good, but not great. Came to City, good, not great. This season, he's the footballer of the year so far. He's the player of the year so far. And the only one with a real argument to contest it is De Bruyne, who missed six weeks or whatever it was. I I think City currently have the two best footballers in England now. You know, uh, Mo Salah's worthy of mentioning that conversation. If Van Dyke was fit, he'd be in that conversation for sure. But right now, at the moment, this season, it's those two, and then it's a gap, and then it, then it's Salah, and then it's another gap, and it's probably it's probably Harry Kane. As bad as his teammates have been, he's still playing quite well. Um, which it this goes to show what a mockery it was the, the Player of the Year award last year. Not even close. Wasn't top five of his own club. This season, there's a lot of players playing really well, worthy of consideration. Um, and most of them played well last season as well. Um, yeah, that's so that's that's that one. Um, Mikhail Campbell, again, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your Premier League 11, best Premier League 11 for British players? And the best 11 for foreign players. Who would win a one-off game between the two teams? 
Um, right, British 11. Let me write this as I do it so I remember who I'm writing in. Um, David Seaman will be the goalkeeper. Right back, I think it has to be Gary Neville. The centre-backs will be Saul Campbell and Tony Adams. Please ignore anybody who tries to tell you that John Terry and Rio Ferdinand are the two best centre-backs in the Premier League era. They're not the best English centre-backs. Neither of them are the best centre-backs at their own clubs. No chance are they the two best centre-backs of the Premier League era. Ashley Cole is comfortably the best British left-back um, of the Premier League era. In midfield, oh, um, look, it's it's a team on paper, so it doesn't really matter. So I'm going to pick a diamond midfield. I think I'm going to go... No, I'm not. I'm going to go 4-4-2. I'm going to play Gerrard on the right. I'll play Lampard. And Skulls, I know it wouldn't work, but I'll play them in central midfield. And Ryan Giggs would have to be the left winger. Up front, it's definitely Shearer. And body of work would probably mean it has to be Rooney. So David Seaman... Gary Neville, Saul Campbell, Tony Adams, Ashley Cole, Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs, Shearer and Rooney. I, I think that's probably it. I don't think I'm missing anyone obvious there. Um, as for an overseas 11... Schmeichel's the keeper. Peter, not Casper. The left back is Dennis Irwin. For those un unaware, people from the Republic of Ireland are not British, so they did count as homegrown or, you know, back in the days where there was the three foreigner rule, uh, but I'm not counting them for the purpose of this. Uh, so Dennis Irwin, um, Centre-backs, I'm going to go Ricardo Carvalho with Yap Stam. Both comfortably better than Rio Ferdinand and John Terry, I should point out. Um, Right-back is difficult. There hasn't been a lot of great right-backs in the Premier League era. Zabaleta was very good. Aspilicueta was very good. They weren't great. Loren was good, not great. Ivanovic was very good at a time, but the only one who was great, but it was for such a short period of time, was Marcus Babel, who arrived at Liverpool from Bayern Munich on a free. An early Bosman, or it was one of the first Bosmans anyway that I can remember, and I still maintain it's the best Bosman signing that a Premier League club has made because. He was legitimately world-class. And Liverpool somehow managed to snag him from Bayern at the age of 28. His first season was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. 
and he won the the treble, but the, the the cup treble, and then he got ill. He caught Gillen Barron syndrome, or I caught it. He developed it. I, I'm not sure how it works. Um, and it it completely stunted his his career. It kind of ruined his career in truth. And he was never the same player again. He never really played for Liverpool a whole bunch after that. Um, I'm just going to put him in because I loved him. I thought he was brilliant. And um, it was, it's only one season. I know it's unfair on the likes of Zabaleta and Aspilicueta and, and Loren and, and whoever else that had sustained, and Ivanovic, had sustained excellence for a number of years. But I don't think any of them were at his level. I don't know that any of them could ever have been classed as world-class, but he undeniably was world-class. Um, it's Keenan Vieira in the middle of the park. I'll hear no arguments against it. They're the two best midfielders the Premier League has seen, and anyone else telling you anything else is lying to you. Um... Gonna play Ronaldo on a wing. Ronaldo right wing. Eden Hazard left wing. No, it's not Eden Hazard. It's Ronaldo. It's Ronaldo left wing. It's Mo Salah right wing. I don't want any players that are currently in the league. I'll go. Yeah, I'll leave it as it was. I'm not picking players that are currently in the league. I'm going to go Ronaldo one wing, Hazard the other, um, and just stick with that because otherwise, because you, you start, you, De Bruyne would have to be in the conversation. Van Van Dijk would have to be in the conversation. It's too messy that way. Um, the strikers pick themselves. It's Suarez and it's Henri. Do you know what? I'm taking Hazard out. Don't like him enough. I'm going to play a four, a four-two-one-three. I'm going to stick Burkamp in as a ten. Burkamp as a ten. Ronaldo, Suarez, and uh, Henri as my front three. Keane and Vieira will do all the work. It won't be a problem. And with that back four, it doesn't matter. Um, who would win? That foreign team would win by a country mile. By a country mile. The the level of talent is just ridiculous. Babel, short term, admittedly, but world class. Carvalho is would start in my all time Premier League eleven. Yapstam was incredible, utterly incredible. When United signed him, it, it just changed the level of what was required to play centre back in the Premier League. That may arguably now I've, I've generally said Carvalho and Campbell. And Campbell, it is largely on longevity. But I don't think he was ever at the level that Stam was at at United. I think that is the best central defensive pairing you could make of any centre-back that's played in the Premier League. And I love Tony Adams. He was exceptionally good. But I think Carvalho and Stam are the two. Irwin, if I was picking an all-time Premier League eleven, Irwin won't be at right-back because... Again, there just weren't many great right backs. There were two great left backs in him and Ashley Cole. So I and Irwin was naturally right footed. So I just shift him to right back, play Cole left back. Schmeichel will be the goalkeeper. Keenan Vieira is a no brainer. 
I'd probably put Gerard over Burkamp. That front three is probably my front three, but it's very hard to argue against Alan Shearer. So you'd probably put Shearer over Suarez, just given the volume of goals over the time. Suarez only in the Premier League for three years. But Ronaldo and Henri are no-brainers. So yeah, that those would be my two teams. Seaman, Neville, Campbell, Adams, Cole, Gerard Lampard, Scholes, Giggs, Shearer and Rooney in a somewhat of a 4-4-2. And then um, Schmeichel, Babel, Carvalho, Stam, Irwin, Keenan Vieira, Burkamp, Ronaldo, Suarez, Henri. And if you ask me to combine them, I'd go Schmeichel, Irwin, Ca- uh, Irwin Carvalho, Stam, Cole, Keen Vieira, Gerard, Ronaldo, Shearer, Henri. Yeah. Uh, overrated current Premier League eleven. This is from James Houghton. Um, he he's gone with Jordan Pickford, Kyle Walker, Ben White, Harry Maguire, Ben Chilwell, Henderson and Pogba, Madison, Bergvine, Pepe and Martial. Um. It's hard to disagree with many of them now, to be totally honest. Chilwell, I don't necessarily think... The overrating comes down to more the money that was spent on him. I think he is very good. Now, he's not particularly great defensively, but he's okay. He's good going forward. He definitely wasn't a 50 million uh, defender. I'd leave Kyle Walker out. He has been overrated for sure. But, But I think there's a... Across the city of Manchester, there's a more overrated right back in Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I mean, 50 million. 50 million for a guy who's good at one thing, 1v1 defending. Poor at everything else defensively. Poor positioning, doesn't read the game well, doesn't sweep a centre-back, poor in the air. He's not a good defender overall. He's great 1v1. He will lock down any left winger, but he's not a good overall defender, and he's poor going forward. So I'd go him. Maguire's an absolute nailed-on certainty. Um, I think I'd go Tyron Mings over Ben White. I do agree Ben White is overrated, but I I just think anyone that thinks Mings is even decent is talking out of the backside. The guy makes that many mistakes. Pickford is unquestionably the goalkeeper. Um, you'll get no argument from me over that central midfield pairing. It is absolutely those two. I don't think Madison's overrated. I do think Jack Grealish is overrated. I think this is the first time... He's had a consistent run of good form in his career in the Premier League. And he's been made out to be the best player in the world. Uh, and he's been terrible for about six weeks now. So, uh, and he, now he's injured. So, um, I, I would put Grealish in mine um, over Madison. I'm not sure Bergvine is overrated. I think he's just badly managed. Mourinho kind of uses him as almost an auxiliary attacking right back in front of the normal right back whereas that's not his game like at PSV he played in a front three and his pace and his movement and his finishing were brilliant so I I don't know that I agree with him Martial I definitely agree with I mean Pepe again it's the price tag rather than the player 
the price tag does suggest a player who's drastically overrated. Um, there's no one else at Leicester. Mason Mount is becoming overrated. I will say that now. He's a he's a a good player who may become a very good player. He's he's not a great player now. He's important to Chelsea, but he's not a great player yet. There's a lot of holes in his game. Give the lad a chance to actually develop. Um, who else is overrated in the league? I mean, Arsenal fans still think Granit Jack is good, so can I include him? Um, Wolf Zaha is overrated. I'm going to put him in. Wolf Zaha is overrated. He's a he's a good, very talented player who's best as a big fish in a small pond. I think similar to Grealish. Um, uh, yeah, those two would definitely be in my team. And I'd, I'd Martial, yeah, a hundred percent. Just to wind up, at least one listener, I'm going to say James Rodriguez. So I'll go James, Grealish, and 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 uh, Zaha behind Martial, Henderson, Pogba, no question in midfield, and then. Um, yeah, I'll go uh, Wan-Bissaka, Maguire, Mings, and Chilwell. Three of whom could be playing for Man United next season. And Jordan Pickford, unquestionably the goalkeeper. Um, your current underrated 11 playing past or present across top five leagues. Let me come back to that. Um, Tom on the cop. Who's, that's from Martin St- Martinstein. Who's your money on for the Euros if it's not France? I, I think France are the obvious favourite. I, I, I quite like Portugal. They're in a very tough group with France and Germany. But I do quite like their squad. I think they've got great depth. They've got lots of talent. I think they're a little bit too beholden to Cristiano. But, you know, it is what it is. Italy, I wouldn't fancy. Turkey won't, you know, they won't do much. Belgium, they always just flatter to deceive. And Hazard has been a train wreck for two years. So, God knows. The Netherlands, you would have fancied them to do okay if Van Dijk was fit. Which he may be fit, but he won't be. He won't be fit enough to be the normal Van Dyke. Um, Southgate will hold England back with his team selections. Don't fancy Spain. Germany's ro- have run their race. I am going to say Portugal. Three can come out of a group. I think three will come out of that group. Uh, poor old Hungary. Poor old Hungary. They qualified and uh, got lumped into a group with three powers. <laughs> Not ideal. Um, Basil, Bazozo Zuzo. Uh, what do you? Th- who do you think will finish 18th at Newcastle? I-, I just think they're trending that way. I think Fulham are trending up. I think they're picking up points at the right time. They're Still struggling to score goals, and like I've said it before, if they had a real manager, they'd be mid-table. But I think Newcastle are, yeah, I think Newcastle are going are going down. If I'm honest, um, the loss of Callum Wilson is going to kill them. They, they, they've no other goals in the team. Um, Jay Reed, given the first legs of the Champions League ties, who do you expect to go through, and what matchups would you like to see in the next round? Right. So, uh, let's start with last night. Last night, we saw Man City beat Gladbach. 
and we saw Real Madrid beat Atalanta after some questionable refereeing decisions. Um, it's hard to know. Let me think. I think I think City will walk through. There's no question. City will walk through. Atalanta will go to Madrid. You'd have to fancy Madrid. You'd really have to fancy Madrid. I think Sevilla overcome Dortmund. Dortmund won the first leg 3-2. I think Sevilla overcome them. PSG beat Barca 4-1. They'll go through. Uh, Porto beat Juve 2-1, but I fancy Juve to turn that round. Leipzig lost 2-0 to Liverpool. Liverpool will go through. Chelsea beat Atletico 1-0. I still fancy Atletico, I have to say. Bayern beat Lazio. Bayern are going through. City. What would I like to see? I'd like to see City against Bayern. Juventus against Sevilla. Liverpool, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. Sevilla or Dortmund. No, that's not. Atletico Madrid PSG, sorry. Atletico Madrid PSG. I'd like to see Juve play the winner of Sevilla Dortmund, which is anyone I'm not 100% sure on. I think Sevilla will come through. But, yeah, Liverpool-Real. Dortmund or Sevilla against Juve. PSG against Atletico or PSG-Chelsea, whichever way that works. And City against Bayern. Because if anyone's going to stop City... It, I think Bayern have the best chance. And if they don't, pack it up, give them the trophy, let's all go home. Um, KCDesign.ie, with the apparent evolution of styles for both Klopp and Guardiola towards more defensive solidity, Klopp since Buvac left and now Pep this season, do you feel Pep is reacting to Liverpool's strategy or reacting to the particular struggles of the season? I think it's more the latter. I do think it is more the latter. One of the reasons City have been so good defensively is because they control the ball so much. And in Guardiola's own words, they're not running as much. They're resting on the ball. They're saving their legs so for when they don't have the ball. But because they have 70-odd percent possession, you know, it's comfortable for them. And not only that, but they go ahead, they score a second, and then they just sort of kill the game. They just knock the ball around. They don't take any risks. They're not chasing games. I think it's more difficult when you're chasing games. I I think Klopp... Klopp, for sure, it's they've become more possession-based since Pep and Linders began to have more of a say. Um, but Guardiola, I do think it's more the, the, the struggles of the season. Now, I will say, Pep's Barca team and Pep's Bayern team and indeed, City when he you know when when he won two titles, they were decent defensively. You know, he was winning titles with Otamendi playing Otamendi and Stones as a pairing. Um, I do think he's generally his style of play and the domination of the ball and the domination of territory has always enabled him to be strong defensively. I mean, Victor Valdez won a bunch of different awards for most clean sheets when Pep was there. Um, he he's made people believe that PK and Boateng were great defenders, as opposed to 
great footballers who played in defence. So, yeah, I, I think he's always been like this. I just think he's become a little bit more of this this season because of the, the actual season that's in it. Um, most underrated 11 of the last decade across the top five leagues. That's from Martin Stein. That's a difficult one. Um, do you know what? I'll do an underrated 11 of now. I think that's probably the, the easiest. That's probably the best. I think Dubravka would be the goalkeeper. I'll do an underrated Premier League 11 for now. Dubravka would be my goalkeeper. I think he's really underrated. And I think Newcastle have missed him massively this season. Now, he's back. That's one thing that could help them stay up. Um, in defence, James Justin, Esri Konza, Mason Holgate, who I think is very underrated. And as a left-back, Kieran Tierney, who I don't think gets mentioned in the conversation for the best left-back in the league nearly enough. And people just replay one stupid clip where he got caught off balance and near fell over. He's a really, really good left-back. Um, In midfield... I'm going to go a double pivot of Zam- Zambo and Gisa and uh, Pierre Heusberg. No, sorry, I'll go with three. I'll go Zambo, Heusberg, and Suchek as my, my midfield three. Get a little bit of everything there. Get protection and ball progression from uh, Heusberg. I get a ball carrier and a ball winner in Zambo. And I get a bit of everything then in Suchek, who will also bring me goals. And then up front... I don't think people have fully grasped how good Rafinha is because Leeds are still in mid-table, but he is staggeringly good. I think Bamford is is the most underrated nine in the league this season. And Mo Salah. Guys just popped it in. Mo Salah. Mo Salah is underrated. I, I don't know how many times he needs to prove to people just how great he is. He scores goals at a ridiculous level. He creates goals at a better level than Eden Hazard did when people were talking about him being the great playmaker. Yeah, Salah. Mo Salah is underrated. Do you know who else is underrated? Bruno Fernandes. By idiots who think he's a stat patter. Bruno Fernandes has scored 34 goals for Manchester United since joining. 34 goals since joining. That is ridiculous. He's only been at the club 13 months. If a striker had scored 34 goals, you wouldn't hear mentioned that a couple of them were penalties. People would be just like, wow, 34 goals. Add to that, he's not just a goal scorer. He's got 21 assists for United as well. In 59 games, he has 55 goal involvements. It would be incredible for a striker. For a midfielder, it's unbelievable. Go and look at Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, any of them. You will not find a 59-game run in their careers where they had 55 goal involvements. You will not find it. You won't find a 59-game run with 34 goals. 
you won't find a 59-game run with 21 assists. He's done them both in that 59 games in his first year in the league. And there's still people saying, oh, he's a stat padder, he's a penalty merchant. He hasn't scored 34 penalties. He's got 22 goals this season. 22 goals and 13 assists. This season, it's February. The guy is a machine, an absolute output machine. Bruno Fernandes is underrated, even by his own fan base, who think Paul Pogba is their saviour, who think Anthony Martial is their saviour, who think Harry Maguire is their saviour. Bruno Fernandes is their saviour. And I'm actually going to leave Rafinha out of my team, play Bruno as a 10 behind Salah and Bamford. Just to emphasise the point. Um, right. Alex Wilson asks, in the summer, who would you sign as backups who are stylistically similar to Alison Becker, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Thomas Partey, Youngman Son, Raheem Sterling, Jamie Vardy, James Madison, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. That's quite the list. Um, let's dig into some of these. Right, for, for Partey, I'd go for Zambo. Um, for Trent, sticking at Fulham, Ola Aina. Uh, work down. Vardy. Um, Alfredo Morellas of Rangers. Madison. Madison. I'll come back to Madison. Calvert-Lewin. Um, he's quite unique. Alexander Isaac, maybe? Similar build. Isaac maybe is a bit more to his game. Alexander Isaac. Uh, Raheem Sterling. Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, doesn't have his goals, but Jeremy Doku might be the one that would fit in terms of his dribbling. Gabriel Martinelli. That's who I'd actually go for. Gabriel Martinelli of Arsenal. Um, Youngman's son. I, that's a tough one. He's, to me, like, he's a, I think he's world class or very, very close to it. Plays anywhere across the line. Yeah, you'd be paying big money to get someone, um, someone like son. Um, I'm struggling with Son. That is, uh, uh, do you know what? He's not the same type of player, but he can play anywhere across the line. Lucas Acampus plays anywhere across the line. Versatile, hardworking, plenty of individual skill, great team player. Lucas Acampus. Uh, Madison is the only one. Uh, Allison, I mean, <sighs> Alexander is it, is it Alexander Lunin, the, the the Ukrainian goalkeeper at. Real Madrid, uh, he's out on loan. He's got the build, he's good with his feet. I'd go for him. So Lunin, Aina, Zambo, Ocampos. I don't love the Doku pick. Um, Morella's definitely for Vardy. I'd go Isaac for Calvert-Lewin. Um, let me come back to Madison. Madison, I mean, he's... I mean, Christian Eriksen, if you get him on the cheap, would be similar. Um, 
Todd Cantwell, maybe. He's not the same type of player, but can be a little bit of a tan, a little bit creative, bring some goal. I mean, yeah, Todd Cantwell. And I do like Todd. Player. Um, oh, no, I went Gabriel Martinelli for, for Sterling, didn't I? Yeah, no, I'm happy with that one. So, yeah. Um, Lunan, Aina, Zambo, Ocampos, Martinelli, Morelles, Cantwell, and Isaac. That'll do. That, I think that's. I think they're the ones I'd look at. Um, top three to replace Bobby if we keep the same system, and top three to replace him if we change the system. So, if you're looking for someone who's going to be more a facilitator than a goal scorer, I've I've just mentioned Ocampos. I think he'd be one to consider. There's not many. I mean, Bobby's very much a one-of-one type of player. Even what what Suarez used to be is, you know, similar, but Suarez isn't that player anymore. I mean, if he was younger and and more robust, Mikel Antonio would be worth a consideration. He's not of the level, but stylistically. Um, If we were to change the system, I mean, the top one is, for me, is, is Haaland. Because... I just think that's guaranteed goals. Uh, um, Luka Jovic would be worth strong consideration. He could probably play in the in the current system. He's more of a goal scorer than Bobby, not quite as much of a worker, but really good. Uh, um, if it's 4-3-3, I'll go Ocampos, Jovic, and I'll say um, Andre Silva, his mate at, at, at uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. If we change the system and go to more of a two up front, Haaland is definitely one. Um, I really like Odson Edwards, and I think Andre Silva will be will be in that list as well. So Andre Silva makes both. Look, Haaland works anyway. You put him in the team, he'll score score your goals. But you know, uh, who's on the Mount Rushmore of football managers, and who can you see breaking into that group? Um, so Mount Rushmore, there's four faces, so we need four. So the way I would look at it is, you can either take it by success. Or you can take managers that made changes that affected football. People who inspired generations of future managers from a tactical, uh, you know, principal point of view. So Gustav Sebes, the manager of the golden team of Hungary in the 50s, would be one. He is largely the creator of total football. Now, Renis Michels, who obviously was the one that developed it, is credited with it, but his inspiration was Sebes. So Sebes would be there. Michels would be there because of what he then did and how he inspired the likes of Johan Cruyff, who in turn inspired Pep Guardiola. So those two would be there. Arrigo Saki would have to be there because if you look at look at every team in the game right now that plays a high pressing style, much of that comes from Saki. You think of Simeone Capello, all of those who are inspired by him. I think Saki's definitely there. I mean, the guy's top level management career was less than a decade, and we're still talking about him constantly 25 years later. Um, and the fourth one, 
Labanovsky, uh, the Ukrainian who managed Dynamo Kiev and the Russian national team and the Ukrainian national team, Labanovsky, I think he would be worth consideration. But I, I think you have to balance it out by saying, look at the sheer volume of success that Alex Ferguson had. Now, Labanovsky had great success as well. And he's one who inspired many managers. He's one that pioneered, you know, sports science in the game. He pioneered the use of statistics in the game. Ferguson won absolutely everything. For 25 years, 26 years, or however long he was at United. But I think Lewandowski made more of an impact on the game. I don't know that I've ever heard a manager say that Alex Ferguson is their inspiration from a tactical point of view. And if you look at the managers that came, having played under Ferguson, Bruce, Hughes, Ince, Keane, Giggs, Scholes, Neville, the other Neville, they're not very good. They're not very good at all. Um, I think I'd go with Labanowski. I think I would. I think it's him, Saki, Mikels, and, and Sebes. I think they're the four who inspired the most and made the most drastic changes in the game, who moved away from tradition and, and what we were used to. Seb has pioneered the defensive midfield position and the false nine. And he did that in the 50s. Um, they're, they're the four for me. As for who can who can break into it, I think Pep is the only one. I think he's the only one who leaves such a lasting impression. Klopp is obviously incredible. Simeone is incredible. Conte is incredible. I don't think any of them have made the impression on the game or mandated the changes that opposition teams make as much as Pep. So I'll say Pep. Um, but I think it's going to be very hard for him because he's going to, because of his lineage, like his lineage is Cruyff, whose lineage is Mikhail's, who's already there. And even his lineage is is, is Sebes. And, and even though they didn't work together, he was just inspired by him. It's going to be hard for Pep. I think those four might just be set set in stone as as it is on Rushmore. So that's who I'll go with. Um, will the, these refs ever be held accountable? If we did a review of this season, it would look really bad. Uh, no, I don't think they ever will be. And like this whole clap for the referee thing is just such a nonsense. The problem is is social media because we see all these bad decisions and then like the normal people among us, we complain about the weirdos among us go and send death threats and nothing ever gets happened because that becomes the story. Not that this referee is terrible and really bad at his job, but that he got death threats. That's the story. Rightly so. It's the more important thing, but that shouldn't be the story. The story, the, the focus should be how poor he is as a referee. And it's not often enough, so I don't think they ever will fully be held um, accountable. Um, that's from, uh, sorry, that's from David Dupreez. Um, and the Rushmore question was from Emmett, a.k.a. Emmett. The top three in the system to replace Bobby was MTUSA. 
Uh, Theo Saki asks, discuss the dirt, the dirt of qualifi- quality goalkeepers. Um, is it quality English goalkeepers? Sorry, is it a lack of opportunity due to foreign competition or coaching? No, I, I don't think it is. There's only like if you look at when England had really strong goalkeepers, when they had Seaman, they had Flowers, they had Martin, they had Walker. I mean, Walker was good. It was Seaman, Flowers, Martin were the three. It was it was those three, and then a gap. Um, and David James was was the other side of that gap as well with, with Walker. Um, I'm not really sure what it is to be honest. Whether it is coaching, a, a big part of it is. Young footballers are are being trained to be footballers rather than goalkeepers, defenders, midfielders, and attackers. They're being trained to be all-rounders. The skill development is let's develop your entire skill base. 30 years ago, a young goalkeeper was trained to be a goalkeeper. To to stop shots, to claim crosses, to organise his defence. And his distribution was largely long punts down the field throwing the ball out or rolling it out. You rarely see goalkeepers roll the ball out anymore. You don't really see goalkeepers utilising the long throw. Like You think back to Peter Schmeichel, who could throw the ball half the length of the pitch, and that was a great way for United to launch counterattacks. Now it's the kick. It's the low, uh, low trajectory kick down the field. And part of me thinks that the, the throw was more accurate it's just that the kick is easier because everybody can kick the ball half the length of the field not everybody can throw the ball half the length of the field and now more and more goalkeepers have been encouraged to work on on that side of the game and I think that's come at the cost of not working on the other aspects of the game and I think you're also seeing a lot of you know kids who are 15 16 they're good footballers they're not good enough to make the grade. They move into goalkeeping positions. So they, they become the goalkeeper. They're a decent goalkeeper, but they're really good with their feet for a goalkeeper. And that's how they they make their way in the game. So they're they're below quality as a goalkeeper, but they're a, above quality in terms of you know how a goalkeeper is normally with his feet. I, I think that's part of it as well. So I do think there's there's goalkeepers who are better at shot stopping, better on crosses, you know, better at the, the just the basics, who are been bypassed by guys that aren't as good as them, but maybe better with their feet. Um it's a shame. It really is a shame. I don't just think it's England though. Like if you look at Spain, there's not really a whole bunch of top class young keepers coming through. Unai Simon is the last one that I've I've seen that I've seen come through who's impressed, and he's 24, 25 now. Uh, Kepa before him, De Gea before him. There's been a couple of others, but nobody that you've thought, oh, he'll be the number one for, France, for for Spain. Germany have had a couple. They had a strong group a few years back. Only really Ter Stegen developed the way he was expected to. Leno, Leno's good, but not great, and he was expected to be great. Uh, Timo Horn didn't fully develop the way he was meant to. Kevin Trapp, the same. Uh, Loris Carrius the same. The Germans do a better job with developing keepers, um, but again, like other after that group, there's not a whole bunch. I don't think that are elite level. 
Um, I mean, look, France's first team goalkeeper is Hugo Lloris. So he's not a spring chicken. If you look at the the rest of the national team, Alban Lafont is their big hope. But I mean, he's not really developed properly in the last couple of years. Steve Mandanda is still getting in the squad. He's 35. Ben, Benoit Castile is 33. He was in the squad. Uh, Mike Mannion at Lille I do like, but, you know, he's he's the third or fourth choice goalkeeper. Um, this is funny. Uh, I actually saw this on Twitter yesterday, and I thought it was hilarious. So, Steve Mandanda, is, his name is obviously Steve Mandamba. Uh, Mandanda, sorry. He has three brothers. One of them is called Over. One of them is is Riffy. And the other one is Parfait, which means perfect. So his parents decided to give three of his brothers kind of, you know, pretty cool names. One of them one of them they called Perfect. And then they called him Steve. You know, he's the firstborn. So they had Steve. Then they had perfect, then they had Riffy, and then they had over. I just I don't know why I just found that funny. Um Yeah, I think the goalkeeping thing is across the board. Um Genuine thoughts on Pep Guardiola. Yes, he's good, but is he as good as keep people claim, or is he a bit overhyped? I think he's every bit as good as he's made out to be. I, I just think he's one of the greatest managers the game has ever seen. I think he's the type of manager who will be remembered not just for their own teams, but for the teams he inspired, for the other managers he inspired. Jurgen Klopp has a handful of disciples. Marco Rose, Hassan was a big fan. Pep will have generations of acolytes. I, I think Pep is... I think he's phenomenal. I really do. I I wrote a piece on the on Liberty Shield uh, previewing the weekend's games, and obviously City are playing uh, West Ham, and v- Leeds are playing Villa, and those are two of the games I suggest people watch this weekend. And I was thinking about Pep and Bielsa, and how they're obviously both held up. They're both geniuses, but they're such different geniuses. Pep is like a nuclear physicist. He's in there figuring out how to do things in a way that nobody else can match and, you know, to do it in the easiest way possible, to get the maximum results for the the most minimalistic, uh, you know, use of yourself. He's, He's a scientist. He looks at the game and dissects it. His football, when you watch City play, there's a coldness to it. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. I mean, it doesn't matter if there's five people watching or 55,000 people watching. City will play the same way regardless. And nothing outside. They they block the noise. Nothing affects how they play. They're laser focused and everything is how they want it to be. With Bielsa, Bielsa's team is the noise. Bielsa's that frenzy genius he's that artist who like flings paint on a canvas 
And after he dies, people go, wow. Like Jackson Pollock, basically. And that was my comparison. Pep is Isaac Newton. Bielsa's Jackson Pollock. It might be mental, but that's just kind of how I thought of it. I think Pep is every bit as good as he's made out to be. 100-point season, domestic treble. You can say he hasn't won the Champions League. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely fair. But 100-point season and a domestic treble. Two things that had never been done before. Um, I cannot pronounce your name. I'm really sorry. A-G-Y-E-I-T-A-H. I couldn't pronounce it if I tried 15 times, so I won't even try. Um, Henners East asks, what is Jamie Carragher's problem? How long do you have? I think what it boils down to is he's an Everton fan at heart. and He's just a little bit bitter. And apologies to Everton fans. But you know it's true. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of issues. I'm not going to get into them. Um, there's, there's a, just go and, go and read his book. Go and read his book. Read what he said uh, about the summer of 2011 when Liverpool signed all the British dross. Just read what he said about his reaction and his wife's reaction to that. It speaks to the man. Um... The Downey is in the mentions. Uh, Trev Downey, at Downey Trev, you should all be following him. And make sure you check out the Great Stories pod. If you're interested in a break from football, a little bit of literature. uh, Trev reads and then, you know, gets into the minutiae of a great story, a great short story. Um, Him and Neil Poole. It's the Great Stories pod. You'll find it on all podcast outlets. There's a website, Great Stories pod. Uh, com, I believe and you can check that out so give your support to Trev he, he is one of the good ones uh, what advice would you give to a shy young man hoping to make his way in podcasting I have so many things to share <laughs> with the public about corpulent corrupt referees I, I would say speak from the heart Trev let nobody hold you back be accountable for nothing you say and create a little controversy along the way. That's what I did. Um, look, for anyone that is thinking of starting a podcast or, you know, a little bit nervous or wanting to do it or whatever, just just do it. Just start talking. Even if if you've got a microphone or even the mic on your laptop, there's a program called Audacity. You can download it for free. And what I would suggest is... Open it and start talking. Even if it's just to yourself, start talking. Do it for five minutes a day, then do it for 10, then do it for 20. Talk to your mates. Bring up topics of conversation with your mates about football. If it's about football you want to talk or whatever you want to talk about. And just have those conversations with your mates. Because for me, I'm doing this now nearly eight years. I think it's eight years in... October or November since we started the Anfield Index podcast. And for me, that's always how I've taken it. It was always just lads that I knew. It was Gags, Gags Tandon, John Ritchie. It was people I was comfortable with. And, like, I'm better on this than I am on other podcasts. I never hold back, ever. I just say what I think. I will not bow to public opinion. I will not bow to public pressure. And I will sometimes, I'll sometimes say things to wind up certain people. 
because I know they listen and I know they like to talk about it. So sometimes that's what I do. And then they talk about it and other people see it and it brings more eyeballs. And that's really it. You can do this one of two ways. You can either have a really good voice or you can be engaging. I don't know which I am. I don't know if I'm either. But eight years in, I'm still doing quite well from this. So they're the two things. Either find a good topic that you can talk about or have a good voice. As for you, Downey, you're neither shy nor young. You're one of the best podcasters I know. You could talk to the wall reading the phone book, and I would listen. And that you should continue to share your views about the corpulent, corrupt referees on all platforms. All platforms. And Bernadette Strickland, don't be so mean, and don't be questioning Trev's youthful nature. But you're right, he's not young. Um, Right, I've gone long here. I don't I, I don't have time to cover Mikel's other question. Uh, can you review Klopp's transfer windows? I mean, let me jump in quick. Right, he took over in the season 15-16. He took over October 25th. And he made one signing. Marco Grujic signed from Red Star Belgrade for around $5 million. Um, Liverpool have had quite a busy summer. They brought in Gomez, Milner, Ings, Firmino, Benteke, Klein and Bogdan. That's not a good haul. Firmino and Gomez are good signings, but none of the rest really would, would float your boat that whole month. Milner on a free, overpaid at 150 grand a week. But Ings, average player at the time, not worth Liverpool bringing him in. Bogdan, a disgraceful signing. Uh, Klein, disastrous and Benteke, awful signing. Um, they let Steven Gerrard go. Yeah, They'd had a, a very hectic season. Obviously, Raheem Sterling had left as well. Uh, Grujic was the first signing they made. He's not a success. He's not a failure. He's a player they will sell for profit, so that will make him a success from that respect. But he's barely played for the club. He's been on, on a bunch of different loans. He's finally starting to get some shine at Porto. He's a talented player that I think could have been given more opportunities. The first summer... Uh, they bring in Matip on a free. That's a success. They bring in Karius on uh, for four and a half million. Now, you can look at that one of two ways. Yes, he made an absolute howler in the Champions League final. He made two of them. But he was concussed. That's a fact. And he did play a massive part in not only getting Liverpool to the Champions League final, but also helping them secure fourth place. So from that respect, I'm, I'm kind of not against the Karius signing. I, I kind of think Carrius overall worked out to be a success. And he broke his hand or his arm that year and missed most of the season. But he did play pretty well when he came into the team. Um, I don't know if they'll make a profit. I don't think they'll lose money on him. But look, like I say, he got you top four and he got you to a Champions League final. I think he's repaid his fee. I, th- I think at, at, at worst it's a push. I don't think it's a flop. Uh, Sadio Mane, runaway success. There can be no doubt, no question. He has been spectacularly good, and I was completely wrong about him at the time, uh, which I realised about... Uh, when did he score on his debut? About 60 minutes into his debut, um, when he made a mockery of the Arsenal defence. Uh, 63 minutes into his debut, he makes a mockery of the Arsenal defence, and I knew I was wrong. And I said at the time that I was wrong. But certain people like to bang the drum for that one still. But, you know, whatever. Uh, Ragnar Klavan. Was signed to be a fourth centre-back. Was a good fourth centre-back. They made most of the money back. It's fine. Absolutely fine. Alex Maniger brought in to be the third keeper. Did a job. Fine. 
Ginny Wijnaldum, runaway success. No question, no problem. Everything about Ginny has been really good. He will probably leave this summer on a free and he will do so with all of our thanks. The next summer then, Mohamed Salah brought in for 37 million, rising to 44. Uh, bargain. Bargain, he's a 150 million pound footballer. Uh, Dominic Solanke brought in for a tribunal fee, uh, which I think was about three and a half million. Wasn't good enough for Liverpool, but got sold for 19 million. You'll take that. You'll absolutely take that. Uh, Andy Robertson brought in from Hull, uh, basically a straight swap with Kevin Stewart. It may might be the best signing, the best bit of business anyone's ever done in the Premier League. Liverpool signed Kevin Stewart as a free agent after uh, Spurs had released him from their academy, deeming him not good enough to make it as a Premier League player. Liverpool signed him, kept him for a couple of years, changed him into a midfielder. He had been a fullback, and then swapped him basically for Andy Robertson. It's incredible business. Andy Robertson's one of the best left backs in the world. Success, no question. The next one's tricky. Alex Oxley, Chamberlain. Very good player. Um, the knee injury ruined his Liverpool career. Simple as that. He's never been the same player. They won't make the money back. It's hard to say it's a flop because the knee injury, but it's hard to say it's a success when you look at where we are right now. I think it's a push. Virgil van Dijk, it's, look, 75 million, 80 million. It could have spent 300 million. He has been worth every single penny. The best centre-back in the world. Naby Keita, for 53 million, it's a tough one. He's had injuries. When he's played, he's been really good. He hasn't played enough. I don't know what to make. I think it's a push at this point. I think if they sold him, they'd lose money, which is why I think they, they'll hang on to him. I think the fact that Klopp loves him as well. But it, it hasn't been a success. But I don't think it's been a failure because it's down to injuries. He hadn't had injuries at Leipzig, so it was kind of unpredictable. It's, it is all the fault of the Guinea national team. Let's be clear on that. Uh, Fabinho, runaway success. Uh, Jordan Shakiri, 13.5 million. I think it's a success. I think he's played a part in the Champions League win. Didn't really play a part in the league win now, for all being honest, but he played a part in the Champions League win. But was big in that semi final against Barca. If he was sold tomorrow, he'd go to profit. So, yeah, I- I'm taking that as a success. Alison Becker, 100% success. Uh, just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, no, no problems there with, with Big Ali. Uh, summer of nineteen of 2019, then this was the dis- disappointing one. After winning the Champions League, the owners got real cheap. Uh, Sepp Vandenberg arrives. I don't know what he's going to be. He's on loan at Preston. He played right back last night. Apparently did quite well. Who knows? They paid $1.3 million up front for him. It could rise to 4.4. They'll make the money back one way or another. Simple as that. There, w- there won't be any loss there. Harvey Elliott, uh, $1.7 million. Uh, could rise to 4.3. That was set by a tribunal recently. He, he's looking like a star. He's playing at Blackburn on loan. He's one of the best players in the championship already. And I think everybody's very, very happy with him. Um, it's funny that, you know, they agreed the deal for Vandenberg with his club. 1.3 million rise to 4.4. Fulham tried to see, play silly beggars, get a little bit more up front, but, uh, you know, they'll end up with less on the back end if both of these players work out for Liverpool. Uh, Adrian on a free look he was signed on a free to be a backup goalkeeper he was he was fine he, yeah he had his moments where he cost the team yeah whatever he, he he was fine he played a big run of the game see, a big run of the season when Allison was out didn't let us down helped play a part winning the title leave the guy alone 
Uh, Andy Lonergan, signed to be a, a, a training goalkeeper, basically, did his job. Thanks a million. See you later. Taki Minamino, um, not a success, for sure. But he's gone on loan, and he's doing well for Saints. So hopefully he continues to do well, and they'll sell him at a profit. Amazingly, Liverpool won the Champions League and then had a had a net spend. Sorry, I made a, sorry. Excuse me. Made a net profit of thirty nine of twenty nine million. They had thirty nine million come in the door, ten million go out the door. That is ridiculous. After you've won a Champions League, if you want to know why people are fed up with the owners, that is reason number one. I would suggest. Um, and then last summer, I mean, so far it's too it's too quick to judge the players, but. Thiago Alcantara for 20, 20 to 25 million. You can't argue with that. Diogo Jota, I think he's, you know, already looking like, like a success. Uh, Pitaluga, who knows? Young keeper from Brazil. We'll wait and see. Ben Davies hasn't played yet. Costa Simicus has had COVID and injuries, has barely played. Nothing to really write home about, um, in terms of how these players have done just yet. Jota was great till he got hurt, but we'll wait and see. And then Quebec brought in on a loan. Having won the league, Liverpool gave Jurgen Klopp 32 million to spend. So he wins the Champions League and the league, and Liverpool give him 3 million to spend over two, so over, over four windows. And that doesn't include the loan fees that they've brought in. So in actuality, Liverpool have made a profit over the last, or, or at least broken even over the last four windows. They got a million for Grujic, 1.2 million for Harry Wilson, and 500,000 for Taki Minamino as loan fees. There's probably a couple of others there that just aren't disclosed. But yeah, Liverpool um, really have not backed the manager enough. And if you want to know why they're having the season they have, uh, injuries are one, and the owner's lack of investment is two. Uh, I will probably talk about that more, but probably not on this podcast. I'll probably do something on Anfield Index. Anyway. That has got to be me for today. I think I've gotten through everybody's questions. If I haven't, I'm really sorry. Um, I've I've gone really long on this. We must be over an hour and a half. Um, so I, I'll, I'll get to them next week. Ask me again next week. That's it. That's the show. Thank you to Guy Drinkle, as always. Thank you to you for listening. And uh, thanks to Fox Haunt, as always, for the, for the tune, lads. Uh, see you next time. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.